opinions expressed on I Care Out Loud are mine and those of my guests. They should not be considered the opinions of either Ocular Surgery News or Slack Incorporated, although you and I both know they should be. Hi, this is Dr. Daryl White, and welcome to I Care Out Loud. This is the place where we know what you're thinking, but we're willing to say it out loud. Let's talk about post-op drop regimens for cataract surgery. I think the whole thing is just filled with craziness and madness, and I think there's a lot that we can dive into. First of all, as I always do, let's talk about conflicts. At the moment, I have no conflicts of interest. I do not have any ownership interest, nor am I a consultant for or speak on behalf of any companies that make any medications that are used in the perioperative care of the cataract surgery patient. I also do not have any consulting agreements, nor do I speak on behalf of anybody who is uh, in the business of making and selling intraocular lenses or phaco machines or femtosecond lasers or microscopes, at least not at this time. As I traveled around the country for years and years giving dinner presentations for various pharmaceutical companies, I would always ask two questions that weren't really related to anything that I was talking about. As you may know, I spend a very considerable amount of my non-clinical time talking about and consulting in the area of dry eye. I've got some other areas that I'm interested in that I do some work in, but most folks know me mostly in the dry eye world. Even though I was speaking about dry eye and medications and treatments for dry eye, I also have some other interests. And this was an opportunity being in front of anywhere between three and 50 of my colleagues to ask their thoughts about them. The first one really had nothing to do with eye care. For about 10 years, I was involved, heavily, heavily involved with the health and wellness wing of the CrossFit movement and CrossFit Inc. I had been involved with CrossFit for closer to 17 or 18 years, but my involvement with the health wing was shorter because the they hadn't really had that emphasis for the whole time. And what I was trying to do was come up with a plausible, repeatable, actionable definition for health. What did it mean to be healthy? And so I would ask the doctors who were present, what's your definition of health? Give me a definition of health or healthy. And the most regular and common response was the absence of disease. Pretty much exactly what you would expect in a disease-centric treat the disease healthcare system and the doctors who worked in it. Didn't really work in a fitness setting though. We were looking for healthy. And the best answer that we came up with, and I really like this one, was health is being in a state where there is nothing that is preventing you as an individual from reaching whatever the highest potential you might have, both mentally, 
and physically and also emotionally. I like that. The second question I asked was, what's your perioperative cataract surgery drop regimen? I would do this from the podium at big meetings as well. It's amazing. Something north of three quarters of doctors before and since all use three separate drops, each of them used anywhere between three and four times a day for upwards of four weeks after surgery. Think about that. Cataract surgery, the average cataract surgery in the United States actually takes about 25 minutes cut to close, but the average time for very high volume cataract surgeons is closer to seven or eight minutes. So you've got a seven or eight minute surgery and you're asking patients to use three separate eye drops three or four times a day for four to six weeks. It's madness. And in many ways, this is still the same today. If you go on any uh, chats or listservs or listen at meetings, the most common regimen is a topical antibiotic, a topical steroid, and about half the people also use a topical non-steroidal anti-inflammatory medication or, or NSAID. And this is across the board. There's a slightly nuanced version of this with people who use compounded medications. There are some doctors who use a compounded triple medication with an antibiotic, a steroid, and an NSAID in a single drop. The upside of this, of course, is that you have a reduction in preservatives getting on the ocular surface, but they're still using this drop four times a day for four to six weeks. Again, it's a super, super burden. Once upon a time, way back, oh golly, it's got to be 14 years or so ago, we were doing the same thing. We were using an antibiotic, either moxifloxacin or gatafloxacin. Initially, it was ciprofloxacin, four times a day. We were using an NSAID, Acular, four times a day. And we were using a steroid, Predforte, four times a day. We had all kinds of phone calls coming in, some complaining about the four times a day, some complaining about the cost, but many people complaining about the discomfort that they had from those eye drops. Topical NSAIDs, even Acular ST, which was way better than Acular, and, and heaven knows was dramatically better than Diclofenac and you know some of the others, we still had a 25 or 30% keratitis rate. And it always came three days after the one-week visit. The patient comes in a week after the surgery. They're thrilled with you. They're 20, 20. Three days later, you're the worst doctor in the world because all of a sudden they've got frosted glass for a cornea. My approach at that point, and I did it by myself because nobody was talking about this, was I, I looked for medications that we could use less frequently. The Pafinac was shown to be useful three times a day. We looked into the data, got pretty granular on moxifloxacin and gatafloxacin. They could be used three times a day. And there was no real rationale for why we were using steroids four times a day. So we just used Predforte four times a day. A couple of years later, Besifans came out, Besifloxacin, and their, the original data showed that Q12 hour dosing had the same bacterial kill rate 
as three and four times a day dosing for the other uh, medications, the other fluoroquinolones. Durazol, super, super powerful. No reason not to use that twice a day. And Bromfenac had been shown very nicely to work twice a day. And there were several Bromfenac medications out on the marketplace. So I had the, uh, I can't remember the name of the company, whatever company had Quicks and they sold to BNL. The regional manager came in to talk to us when we were doing a uh, two time a day regimen on everything and said, you know, you can use this one time a day, or maybe we were doing three times a day and said, you know, you can use this two times a day. And I said, you know, I, I don't want to have one medication be one thing and the other two medications be another thing because that guarantees that we're going to have about 90% of patients calling in saying, well, which one am I supposed to use? Which color is which? And for the life of him, this guy could not understand why I was doing it. Uh, he never came back. We never saw him again. We finally got to that, you know, two, two, and two spot. And then lots and lots and lots of publications started to come to the fore about using antibiotics inside the eye. A lot of the data came from Europe. The earliest data came from Europe. There's great data that comes from, from Asia, India specifically, the Aravind study, which showed that intracameral moxifloxacin has a post-cataract endophthalmitis rate of, I believe it's 0.03% super, super small. And at the time was about half of the published rate in the United States. We also had some really, really great data that showed that Bromfenac could be utilized once a day. And then there were a couple of revolutionaries out there who had stopped using steroids. Keith Walter's and Toby Tyson are the ones who come to mind. But they had started, oh man, it's got to be eight or nine or 10 years ago talking about not using steroid and simply using a topical NSAID. And of course, they were using antibiotics at the time. This was a great setup, a super setup to reduce the amount of drop burden that our patients were suffering from. And so I started talking about it. You would think that I had three heads. Even people who are super, super scientific about almost everything else they do are just having the most difficult time breaking through on this particular issue because of the long-standing traditions that surround the post-op cataract topical medication regimen. Denise Visco has kind of joined this battle, and Denise has published some really, really great stuff in JCRS, uh, among other places. Keith continues to publish, and what they've shown is that when we look at post-op inflammation, the rate of post-op inflammation when using a single drop of topical NSAID, and they use Bromfenac, is precisely the same as using a steroid when it comes to inflammation breakthrough. 
cases where you have to use an additional or more anti-inflammatory post-op. Keith says his rate's about 2%. Denise says her rate's about 5%. Um, both of them are similar to what we had when we were tapering off steroids years and years ago. And what they've shown, at least for post-op inflammation, is that you can use one drop of topical NSAID once a day and have essentially the same reduction in inflammation that you would get if you use steroids. More than that, very recently, Denise and Keith have published a paper looking at post-op macular thickening. And what they showed was that the CME rate, if you use a topical steroid, is also less than 1%. I think it's 0.5 or 0.7%. Whereas when they were using steroid alone, it was uh, in the 3 to 5% range. A recent study came from Europe which showed exactly the same thing. Now, along the way, Dr. Walters, Dr. Visco, Dr. Tyson, and many other people started using intracameral antibiotics. Usually in the United States, moxifloxacin in Europe, they used, they uh, did some work with cefuroxime, and that has, I believe, started to shift more towards moxifloxacin. Certainly in India and in that part of the world, they've been using intracameral moxifloxacin. The original intra, uh, intraocular antibiotics were put into the vitreous, the so-called dexmoxy or moxy, uh, which was either injected through the zonules or through the pars plana. But the most recent data looking at really couple million patients with the Arabin study was simply putting the antibiotic in the anterior chamber. If you put the antibiotic in the anterior chamber, then you don't need a topical antibiotic drop. If you use a topical NSAID, then for the vast majority of patients, you don't need a topical steroid. Our study in our practice, and we haven't published it, and that's, that's, that's my bad. We looked at six months of patients where in one surgery center, we injected moxifloxacin at the end of the case. In the other center, we injected moxifloxacin and dexamethasone at the end of the case. All patients received one drop of bromfenac starting two days pre-op and continuing for one month post-op. The vast majority of them received the brand Bromsite. The Bromsite medication had been shown in studies published by Sun to have a greater concentration of Bromfenac in the anterior chamber than other medications. In those circumstances where the patient couldn't access Bromsite as the brand, we used Prolenza. It's amazing how difficult it is to find generic Bromfenac in my market, in the Cleveland market. But with that particular setup, the only difference between the patients in the two surgery centers was dexamethasone yes versus dexamethasone no. Unlike the Walters Visco study, where they only looked at macular thickening when the vision was decreased, we looked at macular thickness between seven and days post-op in every single patient in both surgery centers. And we found no difference in macular thickening between the two cohorts. In fact, we found very, very little 
macular thickening. And those patients who did not have pre-existing CME risk conditions like diabetic macular edema or an epiretinal membrane, our CME rate was 0.3%. But the, the nuance there was that putting the steroid into the eye really didn't make a difference either. So now we were in a position where we'd shown to my satisfaction that really for the vast majority of patients, our inflammatory breakthrough was something on the order of 4%. So somewhere between Keith and Denise. And our numbers were very, very good. We had essentially no CME. We had very little inflammatory breakthrough. And our patients were taking one drop once a day for a month after the surgeries. Our phone calls went down to nearly zero, with the exception of those folks who had trouble accessing the specialty pharmacy. We probably had about 10% of people calling with additional questions after they left the office, which was down from 50% of patients having one or more questions about their medications. So this relieved a huge burden, not only for the patient, but also removed a burden for the staff members because they no longer had to spend time on the phone with the patient answering questions about medications. And they also no longer had to spend any time on the phone with the insurance companies answer any questions because we had oh, something like an 80 or 90% use of the specialty pharmacy that was handling the Brahm site. So looking at this, trying to figure out how can we get to a dropless situation? How can we get to where the vast majority of patients don't need any drop whatsoever? If you think about omidria, and if you think about how omidria works, theoretically, the MOA would lead you to believe that if you used omidria, and if you used an intracameral antibiotic, that you should be able to get away without using literally any topical medications at all. Omidria causes a near complete blockage of the COX-2 receptors as soon as you put it in the eye. If we believe that whatever incites cystoid macular edema and the inflammation is the turning on of the prostaglandin-driven inflammatory process inside the eye, if it never starts, you should never have any inflammation, should never have any edema. Well, we never had the guts. I never had the guts to do that. And I don't have Drs. Visco and Walter's paper in front of me, but if I remember correctly, the CME rate and the inflammatory breakthrough rate with omidria alone was higher than it was if you used a topical NSAID. I have really no problem with telling my, my patients that they're going to have to use one drop once a day for a month after each case and that they're, uh, that they're going to have to get one for each eye. Even if it's 100 bucks, which it isn't, it's still a very, very small amount of money, especially given the fact that their copays are now being driven by a fee which averages five or 600 bucks for the surgery itself. Is there a, a way to get to the no drop? I don't know. I'm actually fascinated by how few people have been willing to do the one drop. I'm fascinated by how many people continue to use not only an NSAID and a steroid at the same time, 
which again, the big European study and the, the, the smaller study that Denise Fisco and Keith Walters did showed that there really is not very much benefit to adding the steroid. It's really the secret sauce is the NSAID. I'm also kind of perplexed as to why folks are continuing to use a topical antibiotic when they're using an intercameral antibiotic injection. I totally, totally, totally understand the reticence in a really still a majority of cataract surgeons in the United States to use a compounded antibiotic. There is no commercial antibiotic that's available. And Ascaris, and I think the Academy may have a hand in this, but I know that Ascaris definitely is leading this charge, has a study ongoing right now helping one of the companies or two of the companies try to get a commercial FDA-approved intracameral antibiotic for the use at the end of cataract surgery onto the market. I understand that there is fear that if a problem happens that some folks feel vulnerable because they're using a compounded medication. I get that. I don't think that the fear is warranted in reality. If your patient gets a case of endophthalmitis and you haven't had seven in a month and you've got that one case of endophthalmitis, you know, call me. I, I will defend you. Call Bill Trattler. Bill Trattler is probably the best expert witness for anterior segment surgery in the United States. Now, Bill may not need extra work, but <laughs> I know that he, that, that he feels the way that I feel, and he will defend you. Call, call Dr. Walters. Call Dr. Visco. Call Dr. Tyson. These are people with loads of, of experience. My firm belief is that there should be a trend toward fewer eye drops around cataract surgery. My firm belief is that there should be a strong trend toward fewer medications in those eye drops around cataract surgery. I think the data on intracameral antibiotics as endophthalmitis prophylaxis is just incontrovertible. I mean, it is just airtight. Whether you use cefuroxime or moxifloxacin probably doesn't matter. Moxie has a longer track record. And certainly the Aravin study from India with, you know, a couple million patients is an adequate number of patients to show that it works. I think that that's a really, really great first place to go as you're trying to reduce the number of eye drops on the surface of the eye. The compounding thing I get, you're, you're putting fewer eye drops, asking people to use fewer drops with fewer bottles and therefore a decreased preservative load. I get that. That makes sense. But I still think that you can go further when we're talking about the burden of care borne by the cataract surgery patient postoperatively. I think there's great science and there's great data to support my position. And it's not a primary thing, but I think it's a big time secondary thing. Think about the burden on your staff. Think about the burden on the people who have to 
do the things that are necessary to order medications or get prior authorization for medications, talk to insurance companies, and answer phone calls from your patients. One drop once or twice a day is a, it feels like an order of magnitude decrease in the burden both for patient and for staff and not for nothing we're actually spending less money we're using fewer resources around the time of the surgery while at the same time we're practicing really really good evidence-based medicine brought to us through the efforts of massive 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 practitioners like the folks like dr ervin um, as well as really really uh, really smart people who are willing to do the work like Denise Visco, Keith Walters, and Toby Tyson. So stop the madness. Let's reduce the burden with, of post-operative medications for our cataract patients. Let's take up the, the mantle of helping Ascaris get a commercially available intracameral antibiotic approved but, you know, if you're a mind, there are some very, very good compounding pharmacies out there available to get you intracameral moxifloxacin for sure, or moxifloxacin combined with dexamethasone. And there are an awful lot of companies out there making really, really good versions of Bromfenac. So that's my pitch. Stop the madness. I'm Daryl White. This is I Care Out Loud. You're thinking it. I'm willing to say it out loud. I hope you join me for the next episode.